Chapter 5. The Induced Transition. Do not absorb negative information. The Generation Shift. People have always hankered after the good old days. With age, life somehow seems to get worse. People turn to reminiscing about their youth and times when the colors were richer, first impressions more vivid, dreams attainable, the music was better, the climate more favorable, people were more approachable, and meat was more tender, to say nothing of their health. Life was full of hope, pleasure, and joy. Once a certain number of years have passed, people begin to sense that events do not make them as happy as they did before. Picnics, parties, concerts, films, celebrations, dates, warm seawater. From an objective point of view, all these things are still pretty much the same quality as they were before. Parties are still fun, films are still interesting, and seawater still feels warm. Nonetheless, life is not the same as it used to be. The colors have faded, our responses have dulled, and enthusiasm has waned. Why is it that everything is so much more wonderful when we are younger? Can it really be that our perception of things loses its sharpness as we grow older? We do not lose the ability to laugh, cry, perceive, taste, distinguish truth from deceit, or differentiate between good and bad just because we are a little older. So, could the world gradually be going downhill? No, the world is not deteriorating. Things only seem to be getting worse to certain people. What actually happens is that a person shifts to a negative lifeline that runs in parallel with former lifelines where everything is just as fine now as it was before the individual left them behind. By expressing dissatisfaction, a person attunes themselves to lifelines that draw them in and where things genuinely are worse than before. According to the principle of transurfing, the alternative space has everything for everybody. In one sector, the colors of life have become gray, while in another, life remains as bright and cheery as it always was. A person who emanates negative thought energy ends up drawn into a sector with a different type of scenery, but the world remains the same for everyone else. This is true not only in extreme cases in which someone has become an invalid, lost their home, their loved ones, or become an alcoholic and ruined their life, in most cases, during the course of their life, a person regularly slides onto lifelines where the colors of the scenery are duller than they were on the previous lifeline. When this happens, a person begins to reminisce about how vivid and fresh everything was years ago. When a child is born, they accept the world the way it is. A child is unaware of the fact that life could change, becoming better or worse. Young people have not yet been spoiled, and so they are less picky. They are still busy with the task of discovering the world for themselves and enjoying life because they have more hope than cause for complaint. They think that life is pretty much okay and expect it to get even better. With time, they experience misfortune and failure and begin to understand that not all dreams come true, that some people are better off, and that they have to fight for their place in the sun. As time goes by, they can end up with more cause for complaint than hope. Discontentment and whining become a moving force that pushes a person onto unsuccessful lifelines. Expressed in trans-surfing terms, this type of person radiates negative energy, which transfers them onto lifelines that correspond to the negative parameters of their own thought energy. Life is less satisfactory the worse you think it to be. Children rarely contemplate whether their childhood is good or not. As children, we take everything for granted. We have only just begun discovering the world and have not yet acquired the habit of criticism. The greatest insult we experience as children is not being bought a much-wanted toy by a relative. 
It is only as we get a little older that we start to resent the world around us for fulfilling us less and less. The more we complain, the worse things are as a result. Everyone who has survived their youth and reached a mature age will say that a lot of things were better when they were younger. That is the paradox. You come up against circumstances that disappoint you, and so you express your dissatisfaction, which then aggravates the situation even more. Your discontent comes back to you like a triple-force boomerang. Firstly, the excess potential created by your discontent turns balanced forces against you. Secondly, your discontent serves as a channel through which a pendulum can draw your energy. Thirdly, radiating negative energy, you shift onto lifelines of a corresponding vibration. The habit of reacting negatively is so deep-seated that human beings are beginning to lose their advantage over other creatures further down the food chain in their capacity for awareness. An oyster also reacts negatively to external irritants, but unlike the oyster, a human being is able to consciously and intentionally regulate their relationship with the external world. Nevertheless, most people do not use the benefit of awareness, instead responding aggressively to the slightest inconvenience. Aggression is mistakenly interpreted as strength, but in fact a person who chooses to express themselves aggressively might as well, metaphorically speaking, be quivering helplessly in a pendulum's web. You might think that life is not as good as it used to be, but the younger generation happens to think that life is wonderful. Maybe they just don't know how great things were when you were their age. Having said that, when you were young, the older generation complained about life too and reminisced about their good old days. This pattern cannot simply be explained by the tendency of the human psyche to erase all negative memories, leaving just the positive ones. The criticism is aimed at the present moment, which is supposedly worse than what it used to be. If you accept the fact that life is getting worse with every passing year, then you would have to agree that the world should have simply fallen to pieces a long time ago. An uncountable number of generations have passed since the beginning of human history, and each one believes that life's colors have faded. Many an old man will tell you with absolute certainty how much better Coca-Cola used to be. Coca-Cola was invented in 1886. Imagine how disgusting Coke must be by now if it has been consistently worsening in quality since then. Or perhaps one's sense of taste weakens with age, although that is hardly the case. Anyway, the old man will probably tell you how everything else is a poorer quality today too, be it furniture, clothes, or any other item. If the world were the same for everyone, after several dozen generations, life would have become a nightmare for everyone. So how should we understand the paradoxical statement that the world is not the same for everyone? We all live in the same world comprised of the material realization of alternative lifelines, and yet every individual experiences a different possible alternative. On the surface of things, there are obvious differences in people's fate. Some are rich, some are poor, Some are successful and some are struggling. Some are lucky and some are unlucky. We all have our own personal reality within the common world we live in. It seems quite straightforward, just as there are rich and poor neighbors in a single town. The script, the role, and the scenery differ in different manifestations of reality. The difference in scenery is hard to track. One person looks at the world from the window of their luxurious car, while another peeks at it from inside a rubbish container. One person enjoys the party, while another is consumed in thought about their problems. One sees a group of happy youths, another a gang of hooligans. They are all looking at the same things, but the images they perceive differ as black and white film differs from color. 
Every individual is attuned to their own sector in the alternative space, and so everyone lives in their own personal world. All these worlds exist in layers that exist one on top of the other, forming what we understand to be the space we live in. It might be difficult to imagine, but no one layer can be separated from another. Every individual creates their own reality, and that reality intersects and interacts with the rest of the world around us. Imagine what the Earth was like before any single living creatures existed. Winds blow, rains fall, volcanoes erupt, and rivers flow. Then suddenly a person is born who begins to observe their environment. The energy of that person's thoughts stimulates the material manifestation of a certain sector of the alternative space, which represents their specific life in this specific world. That person's life represents a new layer in the world. Then another person is born who generates another layer. One person dies and a layer disappears, or perhaps is transformed depending on what happens beyond the threshold of death. We are vaguely aware that other forms of life exist in parallel worlds of some kind. Let us suppose for a moment that there are no living creatures in these worlds whatsoever, at least not yet. What kind of energy would stimulate the material manifestation of space that contained no single living creature? We can only guess. Perhaps once the last living creature dies, the world itself will disappear? Who can prove that the world exists if there is nobody in it? For if there are no people who would be around to say that the world, in our understanding, exists at all, there would be no world to speak of. That is enough speculation for now. We do not want to get bogged down in abstract conjecture. Remember, though, that transurfing is just one of many models. All existing theories about the world and life in it are nothing but models. Remember also the notion of importance and try to avoid projecting any outer importance onto the transurfing model of the universe. Otherwise, you could become an apologist for futile ideas and try proving to everyone the truth of your own subjective worldview. Truth is an abstract notion, for we can only understand some of the world's forms and laws. Our goal here lies exclusively in attaining maximum practical benefit from our preferred model of the universe. Now let us return to the topic of the generations. Throughout their lifetime, a person reattunes their energy from the vibration of one sector in the alternative space to another thereby transforming the layer of their personal world. The more a person readily expresses their discontent emanating large quantities of negative energy, the more strongly the tendency for the quality of their life to deteriorate is consolidated. A man could acquire great material wealth with age, but not necessarily be any happier for it. The colors of his scenery could just as well fade and life become less enjoyable. The older and younger generation both drink the same Coca-Cola swim in the same oceans, ski on the same mountain slopes, and everything is pretty much the same as it was many years ago. However, the older man is convinced that in his day, everything was better, and the young person is convinced that things are better now. And when the young person grows old, the story will no doubt repeat itself. There are deviations from this tendency, both for the better and for the worse. Sometimes a person only begins to develop a taste for life as they get older, and the opposite can happen. A successful young man can go downhill until he hits rock bottom. That said, in general, the generations agree that life gets worse as you get older. This is how the shift in generational layers takes place. The layer of the older generation shifts to a lifeline of poorer quality, and the layer of the younger generation gradually follows on behind. This shift takes place gradually 
each time starting from a point of optimism. This is precisely why the world as a whole never actually transforms into a living hell. Everyone has their own lair, which they choose themselves. By now you will have a clear picture of how the choice can be made to one's personal detriment. In previous chapters, we have already talked about how to avoid creating a living hell in your own life. You may also wonder whether it is possible for a person to retrieve an earlier section of their world or return to a lifeline that was filled with color and hope like it was in childhood. The transurfing technique can help with this task, but before we look at that, it is first useful to understand how exactly a person can end up shifting from a lifeline full of success and hope to a lifeline where they would face the question, so how exactly did your life end up like this? The Pendulum Vortex The human psyche works in such a way that it reacts most strongly to negative irritants, such as unwanted information, hostility, danger, or any other form of negative energy. Of course, positive influences can also stir strong emotions, but the intensity and force of emotions like fear and rage by far outweigh those of joy and happiness. The reason for this originates in ancient times when fear and rage were crucial to survival. What use is joy in a context like that? Joy is not as useful when it comes to defending yourself, avoiding danger, and foraging for food. In addition, throughout the entire history of humanity, life has been filled with burden and hardship that have brought more grief and fear than joy and happiness. This is generally speaking why man yields readily to thoughts of gloom and depression while feelings of joy and happiness pass relatively quickly. Have you ever heard of a normal person suffering from too much joy? People who suffer from stress and depression, however, can be found in good number wherever you look. Pendulums, in particular the mass media, actively make use of these particular features of human perception. You rarely hear anything good in the news. Usually, in a news program, you hear a negative fact followed up with news coverage. New details gradually emerge, and the details of the story are thoroughly savored and dramatized. Other negative news stories covering catastrophes, natural disasters, terrorist acts, and armed conflicts are presented according to the same principle. Notice the pattern. Events develop in a spiral of intensity. First there is the catchy headline, and then the story is unraveled, exposing further details. The tension gradually peaks with emotions running equally high. Finally, the story comes to its conclusion and all of that emotional energy is released into space as a temporary calm descends upon the viewers. Endless TV series are based on the same pattern of buildup and release like waves breaking on the shore. From an objective point of view, there is nothing special about these programs. All the drama is literally created out of thin air. However, you only have to watch two or three episodes and you're hooked. Why is this after all? Nothing particularly interesting ever happens. You become hooked on the frequency of your thought energy because it's caught by the pendulum of the TV series and your attention becomes fixed on that sector within the alternative space. This is the mechanism that winds the spiral mentioned above. At first, a person is confronted with a fact which theoretically they may or may not find upsetting. Let us suppose that the fact is a fresh piece of news about a negative event that has taken place somewhere in another country. This represents the destructive pendulum's first prod. If a person is touched by the news story, they respond to the stimulus by expressing their thoughts and feelings about it. If the news concerns them, they will begin radiating energy at the same frequency as the pendulum's initial prod. 
Like thousands of others, the same person responds to the pendulum with interest, thereby participating in the overall event. The vibration of the person's thought energy begins to resonate with the pendulum, increasing the force of its energy. Meanwhile, the media continues its campaign. The person follows developments with interest, making sure that the pendulum receives its nourishment. This is a typical example of how a pendulum entices adherents into its web so that it can continually suck energy from them. The person who becomes increasingly interested in the news piece absorbs some of its negative energy, and whether they are aware of it or not, they are now involved in a game, at least as an observer. At first glance, it does not look as if anything untoward has happened. Watching the news is a matter of course. So what if a person gives a bit of their energy to a destructive pendulum? It is not as if it will affect their health. When a person begins radiating energy at the frequency of a negative event, they shift onto a lifeline that is located closer to other lifelines in which such events take place. They begin to play a part in the plot. They find themselves within the impact area of a spiral that rotates faster and faster, drawing them into a vortex like water into the funnel of a whirlpool. The interaction between the individual and the pendulum becomes increasingly close, and the person accepts the event as an unavoidable part of their life. Their attention becomes selective, and it will seem as if new facts about similar events in different countries are popping up everywhere. The person will discuss the news with their close friends and relatives, who will no doubt respond with interest and compassion. The energy of the pendulum grows as a result, and the individual is drawn ever closer by the frequency of their thought energy to the lifeline of the original event except at this stage they are no longer an observer, but a direct participant. The phenomenon of being drawn further towards the vertex can be described as an induced transition to a lifeline where the adherent becomes the victim of a destructive pendulum. The individual's response to the pendulum's initial prod and the mutual exchange of energy that follows induces a shift to a lifeline with a vibration very similar to that of a pendulum sway. As a result, a negative event occurs in the layer of this person's life. Disaster most people accept that theoretically they could end up being involved in a catastrophic event, but not at all actually allow the possibility into the layer of their own personal world. They are people who do not watch TV serials, have no interest in the news, and are emotionally undisturbed by events taking place somewhere else in the world. They live in a different life layer to those events and are adherents of other pendulums. They remain undisturbed by the fact that somewhere in the world there has been a plane crash. They listen to the news indifferently whilst they eat their supper, probably because they have enough to deal with in their own lives. The type of person most likely to undergo an induced shift shows active interest in disasters that involve other people and take place in other areas. This kind of person is deeply disturbed by news of such events. Sometimes when a person suffers few problems of their own, there is a tendency to fill the empty space in their lives by giving their attention to events taking place in life layers other than their own. This type of person regularly reads the tabloids, watches TV series, or awaits news updates on tragic accidents and natural disasters. Tabloids and soap operas are the activities of small, harmless pendulums. Adherence to pendulums in this category does nothing more than make up for a deficit of information, emotion, and experience in a person's own life. In contrast, displaying an active interest in catastrophes and natural disasters poses a real threat for these are the manifestation of stronger, more aggressive pendulums. 
The vibration of thought energy radiating from a person who gives their attention to tragic events is hooked in the same way as it is by a television series. Anyone who looks for negative information will always find an abundance of it. At first they play the innocent role of observer, like a person watching a football match from the grandstand. The game gradually becomes more gripping and the observer becomes a fan. Then they walk onto the playing field and start to run about waiting for the ball. Gradually, unnoticeably, the fan becomes more involved in the game, and in the end, another player will pass them the ball. Metaphorically speaking, the original observer has become a player, a victim of disaster. Could it really be otherwise? A person allows information related to disaster to become a part of their life. They unwittingly accept the fate of victim and eventually materialize misfortune on an alternate lifeline. Of course, the person had no intention of becoming a victim, but that is unfortunately of no consequence because once a person has agreed to join, the role they will play is chosen by the pendulum. Whereas, for many people, personal involvement in a disaster would signify the result of a fatal train of events. For our victim, it would represent the logical end to a line of behavior that increased the probability of their being in the wrong place at the wrong time. If you ignore the prod of a destructive pendulum, you will never end up involved in a catastrophic event, or at least the probability of it happening will be close to zero. You may object that thousands of people have lost their lives in tragic accidents and natural disasters. Surely not all these people were thinking about catastrophes simultaneously. The thing is that we do not live alone in the world. We are surrounded by other people who are actively working for destructive pendulums and radiating energy within the pendulum spectrum. It is not possible to become totally and ideally isolated from these vibrational frequencies. The common field encompasses you, and without being consciously aware of it, you begin to radiate energy at the same frequencies as the surrounding field. The roots of this type of behavior go back to very ancient times when the herd instinct helps to protect the group from danger. This is why the energy field of an induced shift grows, producing a snowball effect that pulls you in like water to the center of a whirlpool. The task is to stay as far away as possible from the pendulum's vortex. This means not absorbing negative information relating to catastrophic events and disasters, showing no interest, refraining from worry or discussion, and generally letting the information pass you by. Notice that we say let the information pass you by, rather than try to avoid it. As we know from previous chapters, trying to avoid a meeting with a pendulum is the same as seeking out a meeting with it. When you resist something, desire specifically to avoid something, or express your enmity towards something, you are actively radiating energy at the frequency of that object you are trying to avoid. To let something pass you by means not to absorb or react to negative information. Simply ignore it and switch your attention to harmless television programs or books. If you find it impossible to retain a positive outlook when confronted with negativity, you can always turn to your guardian angel. For example, if you are afraid of flying, stay away from planes. If you are afraid, it means that somewhere in the spectrum of your energy, there is a frequency that resonates at the vibration of a lifeline in which a plane crash occurs. It does not mean that you will immediately transition to this lifeline, but nonetheless, the possibility exists. If you are the kind of person who does not think of the dangers of flying at all, then you have nothing to fear. On the other hand, if you experience unusually high levels of anxiety before boarding a plane, it would be wise to skip the flight. If this is totally out of the question, you would be wise to learn to listen to the rustle of the morning stars. What that is and how it can be heard, you have yet 
to discover. War. Wars break out essentially for the same reason that fistfights do. One party expresses their opinion. The other party holds the opposite opinion, and so the opinion expressed by the first is like the prod of a destructive pendulum. The second party takes offense at the prod and reacts with double the amplitude. The first shouts back even louder. Both parties become increasingly aggressive until things finally come to blows. This metaphor illustrates the battle between two pendulums that knock against each other, causing each to swing higher and higher. Obviously, the outbreak of war or buildup to a revolution involves all sorts of complex factors, but essentially the process is the same. The pendulum primes the people by telling them that they do not have a good life, and the people are quick to agree. It is then explained that the reason they do not live well is because other people are preventing them from doing so. This stirs resentment, and the pendulums begin to swing. Then one side provokes the other, evoking a storm of anger whereby the pendulum gathers force and the war or revolution can begin. Each swing of the pendulum generates a response, which strengthens the pendulum's sway still further. A snowball effect is initiated until a shift occurs to a lifeline with mounting tension. The situation can only be changed at the outset before things escalate out of control, at the moment when the spiral begins to turn and the pendulum makes its first move. If the other party responds peacefully or simply walks away, the pendulum will be brought to rest or defeated. If, however, the pendulum's prod is accepted, the participant's new energy will correspond to the parameters of the lifeline on the next turn of the spiral. Unfortunately, there is no guarantee that an individual participant will not be pulled into the events of war or revolution, even if they manage not to respond to the pendulum. If you get pulled into a powerful whirlpool, however hard you try, it is almost impossible to free yourself from the current that pulls you toward the center. If, however, a participant refuses to play the pendulum's game, they will at least have greater chances of surviving with minimal loss. Here we should be clear about what it means not to tolerate war or revolution. You could hate war or be actively campaigning against it. It makes no difference to the pendulum which side of the fence you stand on. It will claim your energy in both cases. If energy is emanated at the frequency of war, a shift will occur onto a corresponding lifeline. If you accept war and participate in it, then you are effectively on the battlefield. If you fight against war, it will consume you anyway. Not to accept the pendulum's game means to ignore it. I realize that is not always possible to ignore something like war, but this is the danger of the induced shift. It is not worth taking the position of defender or opponent of war. There have always been neutral countries which have remained on the sideline and watched while entire nations destroyed each other. From the point of view of the pendulum, trying to provoke a fight with its rivals, people who ardently protest war at demonstrations are potentially just as committed and desirable adherents as the supporters of conflict. Active protest against war potentially provides the pendulum with just as much energy as the support of war, although naive adherents will be convinced of the opposite. The real way to prevent war is simply to support peaceful action and where possible, expose a pendulum's true motives. Do you remember the metaphor of the hive of wild bees? The pendulum tells its adherents that the bees are dangerous and it must be killed. But what is the pendulum's true motive? What does it really need? Honey, perhaps? Unemployment. As we have said, 
There are different ways of playing the game of a destructive pendulum, either by supporting it or negating it. The second option is probably the most perilous, since the desire to actively avoid a pendulum creates excess potential that can pull you into the vortex of an induced transition. Almost everyone nowadays experiences concern at some point or another about losing their job. An induced transition to finding yourself out on the street would be quite a crafty maneuver. Sometimes larger events start with something small and seemingly harmless, an initial faint signal. For example, you might hear that your company is not doing so well, or someone you know lost their job recently, or there are rumors at work that staff may have to be made redundant. On a subconscious level, an otherwise unnoticeable red light comes on. Shortly afterwards, you pick up against another signal which reports that inflation is sky high. This keeps you and those around you on their toes. People start talking about their concerns and the unemployment pendulum is provided with a source of energy. Then there is news about an impending drop in the stock market and the general tension increases. Concern quickly gives way to anxiety and then fear. By this time, you are already generating energy to the vibration of a lifeline where you can see yourself without a job. If you are afraid that you will end up being one of the ones made redundant, your fear is as perceptible to others as if you were wearing a placard saying, I might be made redundant. If you think you can hide your fear, you are mistaken. Body language and the slightest intonation in your voice say more than a thousand words. Once you lose confidence in yourself, you become less efficient. Tasks that you found easy before seem difficult. A certain tension seeps into your communication with colleagues who are in the same position. You take your anxiety home with you, and instead of support, you find your family begin to complain and criticize. Stress levels rise, and you are no longer an efficient employee. At this stage, you might as well be wearing a sign saying, Waiting to be fired. The fear of being fired lies in a feeling of guilt, which either smolders away or burns brightly in your subconscious. They always fire the weakest employees first. If you allow yourself to consider that you might be weaker than your colleagues, you effectively write your own ticket. Let go of guilt. Give yourself the luxury of being you. If that does not work, start looking for another job because the excess potential of your emotional worries will be dissipated by taking action. Some people start looking for another job as soon as they have taken on a new position. Not because they intend to change jobs immediately, but because the idea of having a safety net makes them feel more confident. On the off chance that something unexpected does happen, they know they have an alternative avenue to follow. If you feel secure about the future, the action of balanced forces will not affect you. You are probably thinking that an epidemic can have no relevance to lifelines and that people get ill simply because they have become infected by some bacteria. This is correct, but only so far as a person allows themselves to become infected, and by this I do not mean that they were not wearing a protective health mask. That would not have saved them. I cannot prove my point with theoretical argument, just as I cannot prove anything I have said in this book, just as you would not walk around with a mask on during a flu epidemic just to test whether the mask works or not. I'm not sharing what I know to be true. Whether it resonates with you or not, you can only know. So let us unravel the stages of disease. The cause of an illness is your voluntary agreement to play the game called epidemic. It all begins with rumors that somewhere an epidemic, the flu for example, is going around. Everyone knows that the flu is transmitted through the respiratory system, and so you, like everyone else, totally accept the possibility that you could come down with something. You immediately run the being off sick scenario through your mind, 
You imagine having a temperature, lying in bed, coughing, and sneezing. From this moment on, you are playing the pendulum's game because your imagination is shaping your thought energy to the same frequency as the destructive pendulum. Your subconscious starts searching for confirmation on the outset of an epidemic, and your attention becomes selective. You seem suddenly to be surrounded by people sneezing. They were always there. It was just that you did not notice them before. <laughs> From time to time, at work and at home, someone will raise the subject of the flu. Your suspicion that an epidemic is on its way is confirmed by more and more evidence. Even if you were not particularly looking for confirmation or the subject does not particularly worry you, somehow, confirmation is given of its own accord. If from the very beginning of the game you have attuned yourself to the frequency of the destructive pendulum, your bond with it becomes stronger, regardless of whether your participation is conscious. If you are not against the idea of getting sick, or if you feel that you are for some reason bound to come down with something, you begin to become an active adherent. On the other hand, you decide that you cannot afford to be ill and keep telling yourself how totally healthy you are, but that does not work. Just thinking about the illness means that you are attuned to its frequency. How exactly you think about it, positively or negatively, is of no matter. Your efforts to convince yourself from the very beginning that you will not get ill enforce your acceptance of the likelihood that you will become ill, and because this is the case, no amount of self-indoctrination will keep you healthy. Words spoken aloud are simply warm air, and words spoken to oneself are nothing at all in comparison to the inaudible power of faith. Without faith, you will not protect yourself from the flu, even if you rush to get a flu vaccination. It makes no difference because whatever you do, you will be ill for as long as you need to be. The first symptoms provide you with a choice of whether you are going to come down with something serious or recover very quickly. You might make a weak attempt to resist, but finally you face the fact that you are going to be ill. With that, the final adjustment is made to your energy vibration and you shift to a lifeline where illness is prevalent. The induced shift actually starts from the very moment that you respond to the pendulum's prod. If you genuinely could not care about the epidemic, you will not be affected. If you are on holiday, have not communicated very much with anyone, have not seen the news, and know nothing about the epidemic, the pendulum will not affect you. It will simply disappear into thin air. Have you ever wondered why the doctors are not infected by their patients? Many boldly work without wearing a mask. It is not because they have had the jabs. You cannot have a vaccine for everything. The thing is that the doctors are also actively playing the game of the illness pendulum, but they are playing an entirely different role. By analogy, the next time you fly, notice the stewardesses on the plane. They whiz up and down the cabin like little angels insistently advising passengers to fasten their seatbelts. And yet they are so mobile in the cabin, one suspects that if anything happened, they would simply hover in the air like hummingbirds. What about breastfed babies infected with AIDS? The fastidious reader will ask. Do they too radiate the energy of induced transition? In response, it should be said that, firstly, we are looking at the phenomenon of epidemic as a general tendency, and secondly, I am not suggesting that the concept of infection is a delusion or that thought energy radiating at the frequency of illness is the sole cause of ill health. Transurfing is neither a dogma, nor does it claim to be the final authority on truth. No idea should be taken to be absolute truth. We can only take into account patterns and regularities. Truth is always somewhere close by. But where exactly, nobody can say. Panic. Panic generates the most intense and quickly induced transition. 
panic very effectively highlights the distinctive features of an induced transition. Firstly, the spiral coils very strongly when a person panics because any signal of real danger always has a convincing sound to it. It is so easy then to be immediately drawn into the game of a destructive pendulum. The increase in the pendulum sway also gathers speed very quickly for the same reason. Secondly, when a person panics, they almost completely lose their self-control, simultaneously becoming a sensitive receiver and active transmitter for the pendulum sway. Finally, the pendulum itself can use panic as an ideal way of materializing itself in the crowd. Unfortunately, all these factors make it very difficult to defeat the pendulum or bring it to rest because in a moment of panic, considering how to overcome the problem of a pendulum is the last thing on your mind. However, if you can somehow keep your head, you may succeed in saving yourself and others. For example, when a ship is sinking, a group of desperate passengers will clamor about in a small number of lifeboats while other lifeboats nearby remain completely empty. It only takes a second look to look around and notice the empty boats, but this is the cunning quality of the induced shift that works like a whirlpool sucking in anything located in its periphery. Poverty. From a logical point of view, how does a simple man from the slums become rich, not including criminal means or beautiful stories about people becoming millionaires overnight? The rags-to-riches story is very difficult to explain using only common sense. So what, you may ask, is the use of logic? Transurfing does not entirely fit into the framework of common sense. On the other hand, it does enable you to achieve things that would otherwise appear impossible. When your actions are based on logical deduction, you get a corresponding result. If a person is born in poverty, they will likely be accustomed to living in poor circumstances, and their energy will be attuned to the frequency of their own misfortune. It is very difficult to shift to a lifeline of prosperity if you despise your own poverty, envy the wealthy, and constantly wish you were better off. Actually, I would say that with these types of thought in mind, it is totally impossible one of the first discoveries children make as they get older is the fact that just because you would hate for something to happen, it does not mean that you can avoid it happening. Sometimes, the soul simply cries out in despair, But I don't want to! I hate it! Why does this always happen to me? It is not only children who ask themselves this question in fits of anger, but adults too. It is difficult to accept the fact that even though you do not want something to happen, there is nothing you can do about it. And if you hate something, it will follow you around wherever you go. You can harbor a hatred for poverty, your work, your physical flaws, your neighbors, drunks, alcoholics, drug addicts, dogs, thieves, criminals, the impudent child, the government, the list goes on. The more you love to hate something, the more likely you are to have experience of it in your life. The reason for this is clear. When something gets to you, you think about it which means that you radiate energy at the frequency of a lifeline where that thing exists in abundance. It does not matter which polarity you embody, liking or not liking. The second is of greater benefit to the pendulum because emotions associated with not liking are more powerful than emotions associated with liking. The destructive pendulum sways even higher when you are suffering emotionally. Finally, when you actively hate something, you create excess potential. Balanced forces are then directed against you because it is easier for them to eliminate one opponent than to change a world that does not suit one individual. Who would have thought there could be so many harmful aspects to a negative attitude toward life? In the case of the individual who is born in poverty but dreams of becoming rich, 
we know that desire itself is not enough to initiate change. Often people do their dreaming, lounging about on the sofa, having the occasional stretch, and thinking about how much they would like a bowl of strawberries, but not knowing where to get them in the middle of the winter. If you are not prepared to take action to acquire what you want, you will not get it. A poor person usually does not take action because of their own conviction that the fulfillment of their desire is not realistic. It is a vicious circle. Desire of itself has no power. Desire fails even to lift a finger. Intention, i.e., the readiness to act, is the force that lifts the finger. With intention, a person could just as easily say, You can't take this away from me. It's simple. I just want to be rich. Again, there is a huge chasm between wanting and being ready to become. For example, a poor person tends to feel out of place in the company of the wealthy or an expensive shop, even if they are desperately trying to convince themselves and others that the opposite is true, because in their heart they believe that they are not worthy of that environment. Wealth is not part of a poor person's comfort zone, and not because it is uncomfortable to be wealthy, but because it is so unfamiliar. A new armchair is better, but the old armchair is more comfortable. A poor person only sees the external side of wealth, luxurious houses, expensive cars, ornaments, clubs, etc. If you placed a poor person in this type of environment, they would feel uncomfortable, and if you were to give them a suitcase full of money, they would do all sorts of foolish things with it until they had spent it all. The frequency of energy a poor person transmits is sharply dissonant with that of a wealthy life. Until a person lets the attributes of wealth into their comfort zone, and until they learn how it feels to be the owner of expensive things, they will remain poor, even if they find buried treasure. Another obstacle on the path to wealth is envy. To envy someone means to be annoyed by someone else's success. There is nothing constructive about envy at all. In fact, it has a very strong, destructive element. A person's psyche works in such a way that if they envy something that another has, they try to devalue it in every way possible. This is the logic of being green with envy. I envy what he has. I don't have it and probably never will have it. He is no better than I am. That thing that he has can't be all that good then. Perhaps I don't need it after all. The desire to possess something is transformed into a psychological defense, which then develops into rejection. The aspect of rejection takes place on a subtle level because the subconscious mind takes everything literally. Your conscious mind only plays at devaluating the objects of envy to comfort the person for not having it, but the subconscious mind takes it all seriously and bends over backwards to make sure that the person does not receive what has been so ardently devalued. You can see what tenacious forces hold a person to their lifeline of poverty. Events can unfold even more dramatically when a person undergoes an induced transition from a lifeline of prosperity to a lifeline of destitution. It does sometimes happen that a successful person suddenly loses everything and ends up on the street. The most insidious thing about an induced transition to poverty is that the spiral begins to unwind slowly and then picks up speed until there is no stopping it. The spiral starts with temporary financial difficulties. Anyone can experience temporary financial difficulties. They are an inevitable part of life, just like rain on the day you plan for a picnic. As long as you do not get angry about it, depressed, excessively anxious or resentful, being deprived of a potential source of energy, the pendulum will come to rest. The induced shift only occurs if you somehow take a grip of the spiral's tail. 
The spiral can only start turning if you react to the destructive pendulum. A person's initial response is often to be disappointed. This is quite a weak source of energy, so if the emotional response stops here, the pendulum will be stilled. Anger and resentment are stronger forms of emotional response, which might lift the pendulum's spirits enough for it to convey the information that someone else is to blame for the person's financial difficulties. Their response to this second prod might be making negative comments taking action against those who are supposedly to blame. By this time, the pendulum will be quite revived and begin the second turn of the spiral. At this stage, the person may receive a reduced income payment, prices may rise, or some debt might suddenly be called in. At this stage, the person probably does not realize that a process has been set in motion. It could seem to be nothing more than the result of an unfortunate circumstance, whereas in actual fact it is the result of a directed process, which has been induced by responding emotionally to the pendulum's prod. The frequency of that person's energy will continue to change from a vibration characteristic of a prosperous lifeline to a vibration characteristic of a new lifeline in which they suffer deprivation and annoyance. As a result, they shift to lifelines that correspond to a new set of financial circumstances. The situation is compounded, and bad news starts to come in from all sides. Prices rise and their company's performance level drops. They discuss the problem with close friends and relatives, and the conversations are usually of a destructive nature full of complaint, resentment, and aggression towards the guilty party. This can be particularly pronounced in companies where business is especially bad, and the working day begins with a statement that there's no money coming in as solemnly as if it were a morning prayer. At this stage, the person is totally gripped by the spiral and their energy attuned to the frequency of the destructive pendulum. Seeing that things are consistently getting worse, they become stressed and anxious. Despite its relatively insignificant magnitude, the pendulum can easily assimilate the energy of anxiety, and so it becomes all the more audacious. Because the adherent is so stressed, they inevitably generate excess potential, discontent, aggression, depression, apathy, resentment, and so on. As balanced forces connect with the pendulum, the situation snowballs out of control. The fear they begin to experience drives them to distraction and things become frantic. It is as if someone has taken them by the hands, spun them around and around, only to let go abruptly making them fly off to one side. The poor adherent falls to the ground where they lie in a state of shock. The finale is not a pretty picture, although it all started with just a few financial difficulties. Of course, it is not money that the pendulum needs so much as the negative energy a person generates when they realize that their money is literally going down the drain. By the time the spiral has unwound itself, the unfortunate individual has at best lost much of their wealth and at worst lost everything they had, at which point they are no longer of any interest to the pendulum, as long as there is nothing more that can be gained from them. The unfortunate adherent will either remain lying in shock on the unsuccessful lifeline or try with difficulty to pick themselves up from the floor. Such an induced transition can happen to a private individual as easily as to a large group of people. In the latter case, as you can imagine, the spiral is like a massive whirlpool from which it is impossible to escape. The only way to avoid an induced transition is to avoid gripping onto the tail of the spiral thereby avoiding getting caught up in the pendulum's destructive game. It is not sufficient to know how the mechanism works. To remain free of the pendulum's power, you must maintain a constant awareness of it. You must not allow your inner guardian to doze off. Pull yourself up every time you realize that. 
out of habit, as if in a dream you have accepted a pendulum's game, i.e. you have expressed discontentment, indignation, anxiety, or contributed to a destructive discussion, and so on. Remember, everything that causes you to express a negative reaction is a provocative prod from a destructive pendulum. The same thing happens when you are dreaming. Until you realize that what you are seeing is a dream, you are simply a pawn in someone else's game, and there is nothing to stop you from being tormented by nightmares. As soon as you wake up, shake off the delusion, and realize the nature of the game, you are in control. When you do this, you will no longer be the victim of circumstances, while everyone around you continues to exist in a zombie-like state. Summary Everyone creates the separate layer of their own world. The world of humanity consists of individual layers, placed one on top of the other. When a person emanates negative energy, they compromise the quality of their own life layer. Aggression is mistakenly taken to be a strength and dissatisfaction as a normal reaction. Reacting to negative events induces a shift to negative lifelines. An induced transition is accomplished by a negative event in a personal life layer. Do not allow negative information into your layer. Do not allow does not mean strive to avoid, but rather to intentionally ignore, to express no interest.